right now we want to go through all the different verbal operants and sort of what they mean, what they do, and why they play a role. So Okay. Um, so there's the listener behavior, which is the receptive that we talked about, and I, I think um, that's pretty straightforward. That's just when you give an instruction and then the child responds, right? Okay. And then beyond that is... Um, all of the other operants, which uh, we were just talking about echoic. So echoic is where when the therapist says something, then the child repeats it. So repeats it exactly back. So the word echo is in there. So that mm -hmm. is hopefully easy to remember what an echoic is. So I might say, say fish, and then the child says fish. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, then we have the mand, which is when you, um, or when the child is actually um, engaging in verbal behavior to gain access to something. So it specifies the reinforcer in the response. So it says, the child says fish, and then um, is actually requesting a fish. So to remember the word mand, think of command. So the child's making a, a command or a request in that instance. And then we have tact, which is where now let's say they're, um, at an aquarium and they see a fish and they point and they say fish. Um, this is an, a classic example of where we probably wouldn't see something like this from just doing the traditional teaching of only receptive and expressive as was done in the olden days. Yeah. Um, and so the behavior there is under the control of the actual um, item of the fish being present. It's not under the control of anyone's questioning or um, anything like that. And the reinforcer is not to gain access to the fish, it's just um, social interaction or um, in the case if, if we're teaching it through cards or something it might be some other reinforcer like a tangible item okay. um, high fives tickles whatever's reinforcing for the child and then we have an intraverbal and this is where they're responding now to someone else's uh, verbal stimulus so if I say um, name something that has gills or something like that and the child says a fish then in that sense that they're responding to my uh, vocal stimulus okay. with a vocal response. And the fish, for a true interverbal, usually the, whatever the thing is that they're responding with, there's not, it, it's not there, it's not present, right? They have to be able to pull it up without a visual there? Yes. Um, so that's the other thing is that some of these verbal operands can either be considered pure or impure. So okay. when they're pure, then they're not under the control of some other variable. Um, when they're impure, then they might be under the control. So like if I um, said, name something with gills, and I had a, like a you know, picture with a bunch of options, and some okay. of them were wrong and some of them were right, then that would be considered um, also partially under the control of a tact because they have that item there. Okay. Because with the tact, what they're responding to is the nonverbal right. stimulus. Okay. Not the verbal. So, and a lot of times we do that as ways to teach. So um, when we're trying to get to the interverbal phase, we don't just necessarily go straight into there's nothing to do with fish around and I say, name something that has gills. You know, I would instead probably um, start with some sort of what we might call a tact interverbal and have um, items to choose from. And then once they're pretty good with that, then I would fade that out and then go to the pure interverbal. Okay. And and at that point, you know, I, I think if, if parents are out there and going, okay, I'm a little bit confused, I would say to you, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay to be a little bit confused because it gets to very fine work uh, of understanding how language is built and the, and the therapists and the BCBAs are very good at that. 
And I don't know that it's necessarily imperative that the parent really understand the difference so. between a pure and an impure attack and a, <laughs> I don't you know, under so. the control of attacked. Ooh, who cares? But right. we all care about, can my child utilize language in this way? Right. And do I have the ability to create and be a part of a program for my child so that we can work towards that? And I think the answer to that is a resounding yes. So what I would suggest as a parent of what your take home point from this conversation would be is, in my child's ABA program, are they trying to address all these functions of the language, or are they doing the olden days receptive yeah. and name the item for expressive, which is kind of attacked, basically? Um, but it's also even under the control of the vocal instruction of the therapist because they hold up something and go, what is it? And that's not truly attacked. Attacked is when you're in the environment, you see something cool and you go, oh, look at the clown or whatever. Yes. It's supposed to be under the control of the object, not the vocal instruction. So that's even worse. If all they're doing is what is it? What is it? And yes. there's never a time where the child's spontaneous. Yeah. If you see that, like that leap. if you see that in your ABA program, then you know that you should talk to your, your clinical supervisor about using, um, more of a verbal behavior approach or, uh, and teaching all the different operants. And just remember that um, for uh, your purposes, you're concerned with can they repeat, so that's the echoic. Can they request, that's the mand. Can they label things in their environment without instruction, that's the tact. And can they engage in conversation about things, that's the introverbal. <laughs>